This is the Aesthetic Ecosystems Podcast. I'm Ben Hale, your virtual design guide to help you and your family have a healthy, beautiful landscape with less work. What's up and welcome to episode nine of the Aesthetic Ecosystems Podcast. We are creeping up on double digits, guys. One more episode and we'll be to episode 10. I'm super stoked about that, uh, but let's let's crank out a good one today. Uh, episode 9 is going to be a great one. Today we're going to be talking about what are the right plants for your space. We've kind of gone through a progression here of talking about why low-maintenance uh, landscape design will help you save time and why it's important for you and your life and how it can actually change your life if you use that time appropriately. Uh, we've talked about um, how to make a healthy landscape. We've talked about uh, disease problems. We've talked about a lot of different stuff with your existing landscape, but let's say you're ready to, you want to slap some plants in the ground. I get it. I love planting plants and it's really important to make sure you're getting the right plant for your space. So that's what today's episode is about. Come on, that's fun stuff, right? Uh, I just want to say too, uh, last episode, I was definitely feeling, towards the end, I was definitely feeling a little hoarse. My voice is uh, still recovering from a little bit of a, a head cold that I had. And and so hopefully today we'll be able to crank out a good one for you. I'm, I've got my herbal tea here. Man, you know what? I, uh, I have to put in a plug, I guess, a shameless plug for uh, traditional med- medicinals uh, as a brand of tea I've been drinking, especially when I get sick. Uh, they have this one uh, called a, a throat coat of, of all names. And basically it, it uses some different herbs. Uh, I think it's marshmallow root that has kind of a slimy texture to it. And, and man, it actually really helps uh, your your throat kind of feel better. And, um, so that's kind of what I'm chugging down here today as we're talking. It's got some other herbs in it that help heal your, heal your throat as well as, uh, kick your immune system into gear. And, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. And one of the things I actually love about them is, uh, is their little tea bag, uh, tags have little quotes on them. And, and today's is certainly fitting. It says, plant kindness and gather love. And man, what's more fitting for, for determining what right, uh, plants to put in your space. Uh, and, and so it's just, uh, it's gotta be more than coincidence, right? So, uh, great tea here and great podcast coming up. So grab your tea as well and let's enjoy a good podcast and, uh, let's get right into it. So what are the right plants for your space? And when I'm talking about your space, this is anything in your landscape. So we could be talking about a garden that you're putting in. We could be talking about something you want to put in between the paver stones uh, to kind of fill some voids there. Or we could be talking about your lawn. We'll get into more details about establishing and planting a lawn and what's the right type of lawn and how much lawn to have and and uh, all those things in later episode. But uh, for today, you know, so these considerations hold true for your lawn as well. There's a ton of different grass varieties um, with a ton of different maintenance levels to them, uh, but also just adapted to different uh, conditions and different regions. So um, this certainly holds true as well for, for this. So I've got today's episode broken out into three primary categories. The first is the reason for determining the right plant for your space. Secondly, knowing the conditions of your space. And third, uh, knowing the right plant for your space. So when it comes to 
why you should look for having the right plants in your space. It all comes down to what we're talking about with uh, the whole Aesthetic Ecosystems brand. This is about saving time for you, saving time for your landscape, and having a healthy landscape and a healthy you at the same time. This all ties together. So the less healthy your plant is, the more work you have to do to maintain it. Or if you don't choose the right plant, the more work you might have to do to uh, keep it in a certain condition, say like a pruned tree, if you're not selecting the right plant. Likewise, if you have an unhealthy plant, you might have to treat it with certain things. Uh, and and through that, you know, you have uh, some potentially unhealthy chemicals coming through your landscape as well that uh, can a- increase the risk of uh, health problems for your family at the same time. So just it, it really does all come together with uh, having the right plants for the right specific location as well as the, the region you live in. And that's what we're talking about today. So when it comes down to it, the synthesis of this is that the right plant equals less work. So your plants are happier, it has fewer problems, it has better growth, and also most of the time it also has better, healthier foliage as well as better blooms. And so who doesn't love better blooms when it comes to uh, when you're planting flowers or attractive plants in your landscape? That pretty much sums up the reason we want to have the right plant in our space. So we understand that. Now how do we know what is the right plant? What is the right space for your plant? Uh, It kind of goes both ways, right? Say you want a specific plant, knowing the exact spot in your landscape that it will most likely do the best is very important. And alternatively, knowing what you want to plant a certain space and knowing what plant to put in that space is very important as well. So we're kind of more focusing on that piece, but you can also keep in mind the first piece. Like say you want a specific plant you can determine how it's going to do best based on the conditions you have throughout your landscape. So even though you might have a consistent um, type of condition, like consistent rainfall throughout your landscape, you do have different areas where the rain becomes concentrated and less concentrated. So so uh, that makes an impact as well as all these other conditions we're going to be talking about today. So let's get right into it. We talked about some of this yesterday, just before I get into it. Uh, yeah, I tricked you there, right? Uh, so uh, we talked about some of this yesterday with determining the root cause of certain plant problems. And there's that's why we're talking about it in more depth today is, is if you determine the right space and know the conditions of your site well, you prevent some of these problems in the long term. So that's how this kind of goes hand in hand with the previous episode uh, and also helps you, of course, save time. So first, make sure you know what USDA zone you live in. I'll provide a link in the show notes for a USDA zone map. Um, You can also just quickly Google this, uh, you know, Type in your city or your nearest big city and type in USDA zone. Uh, USDA is the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and they've broken the United States into multiple zones. And if you live in a different country, you can also look up uh, there's other similar uh, 
distributions of how to plant um, your plant. So just type in like planting conditions uh, zone or something, and and most likely you'll get some information on your country or your region and, and how, what plants can uh, do well in that space. But uh, for the U.S., there's this USDA zone map, and, and basically it's a, generally speaking, it's a horizontal distribution uh, going up the latitudes from south to north, uh, in the United States. So basically it's, it's warmer to colder and it breaks them up based on the low temperature. I think it, it's something I don't quote me on this, but it's something like, uh, for the 10 year average, what's the, what's the average lowest temperature that you get in the summer. And that's how the zones are determined. I think it's something like that. And, um, essentially that tells you what types of plants can, can survive in that cold temperature and similarly what plants can survive in that heat that comes with the the higher low temperature um, in the south so for example fruit trees uh, they require a certain amount of cold hours and a lot of deciduous trees as well require similar things in order to grow properly and uh, and to produce uh, fruit as well so um, USDA zone is very important just for getting a general idea of whether or not the plant grows well in your space. Most plants, even on the tag when you purchase them, say at Home Depot, uh, has a list of what zones the plant can grow in. And just a quick note, since I mentioned Home Depot, so some of these big box stores, they'll have plants there that you you would assume that they're always you know going to grow in that space, but it's actually important to check the conditions on the tag that's listed as well as uh, do. I hope you have done the research before you get to uh, if you're purchasing plants, say at one of these big box stores or at any nursery for that matter, uh, that you check the what you hopefully you know what plant you're getting before you get there and. And part of that is these conditions. Sometimes they actually have plants there that don't really do well in your your climate. So it's important to check that because part of what nurseries and especially these big stores, even say Walmart, right, sells plants. Some of these big stores, they they sell you what the consumers want, but it's not always a plant that's well adapted to your space. And this isn't just for the temperature piece. Another good example is is there's tons of plants that are sold here in my region and uh, that are meant to grow in acidic soils, like rhododendron is a plant that is is um, generally speaking, it, it comes from mountainous regions that are more acidic soils um, east of us. And uh, they don't actually do very well without continuously amending the soil here. So I'm not just talking about temperature here, um, but also uh, other conditions as well. So that's kind of a bit, a bit of a side here, like in a watch out, make sure you know what you're getting before you get to the store and don't always trust that because it's on the shelf there and because it has a price tag on it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to grow well, even in just our climate, not specifically the space you're planting in. Okay. So USDA zone, make sure you know it. It's very important. And next, uh, the soil conditions. So I really recommend you get a soil test done. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll probably in the future do a little short thing on. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a soil test done for our, our yard and just show you what kind of how to do it, what kind of report you get out of it. But for now, essentially what you do 
is you look up your local extension office. So each county has this office. It's usually part of the whatever regional uh, state university you have. So for, for Southeastern Ohio, we have an Ohio State University or the Ohio State University extension office for Hamilton County, Butler County. Uh, so the, the counties around us, each county has a separate office. And these offices, they're they're meant primarily for agriculture, but they're they're there to serve the public as well. And so they can answer questions on your your region's soil um, and as well as do these uh, specific soil tests. And so you can send it in uh, a sample of your soil. They usually give you instructions on how to take the soil sample. Um, we can get into that in the future as well. But um, And then what you get back is a report that tells you different conditions about your soil. And these uh, conditions can be very important for when you're planting your garden. And so if you have a specific area you have in mind, you want to take the sample from that space. Because you might have very different soil, say, in the f- in your front yard versus your backyard or a wooded space versus um, a front-facing slope of your lawn. So the more uh, this does cost money to do, the more you can afford and feel comfortable doing, the more samples you have, the better. But uh, of course, don't overdo it. But usually sending in a few samples of different spaces gives you a very good idea of what type of soils you have. I'm going to do a a big episode later on soil, um, both the chemistries that we'll talk about and some of the physical characteristics uh, here as well, just in a short bit. Um, but I'll go into greater detail, and also we'll talk about the, um, the the living component of soil as well, which is very important. But for now, I just want to give you a few of these characteristics, just so you're familiar with them. Um, the more you hear them, the the better you'll retain it. And, and this is all important stuff that you'll get as part of this soil test that you do. Um, so one is the texture. This is a pretty common classification, and basically texture equals particle size uh, is the, the short way to think about it. So your soil texture, some of the terms you'll hear is clay, silt, loam, sand. So these are all different characteristics of different sizes of particles, um, and usually a loam is considered to, uh, a mixture of some of these um, t- different types of uh, materials. So your clay is your very fine particles, silt is a, mid- a medium range particle, and sand is your more coarse particles. And uh, that's all the detail we're going to talk about right now. But in general, uh, the the more hybrid mixture you have, the better. But that being said, if you have, say, a dense clay soil, going out there and dumping a bunch of sand on it's not necessarily a good idea. Um, and uh, so this is more to understand what what your base soil is, uh, the chemical aggregate size of your, or uh, uh, that's not the right term actually. So your particle size, uh, what, what the particle size of your, your inert soil is, and, uh, that'll help you determine what types of plants do well in that space. Structure. Structure determines uh, what types of clumps your soil forms as it starts to aggregate. So this is where aggregates are clumps of the mini particles, the the small particles of your soil. And how does that form? Uh, Different types of soils form different aggregates. And this is just kind of good for knowing uh, drainage and how it does in drought, uh, things like that. we don't want to really get too deep into texture and structure, but but that's kind of what they mean. And um, yeah, that's all we need to know for now. Fertility is the organic matter, generally speaking, of your soil, as well as the makeup of different 
minerals in your soil. So your nitrogen level, your phosphorus level, your potassium level are the most common ones, right? Those are the three big ones that are usually listed. But you also have tons of uh, uh, other minerals that are very important in smaller amounts. So calcium, iron, magnesium, uh, it goes on and on. Um, there are a lot of uh, micronutrients uh, or uh ions, metal ions and such that are uh, necessary for plant growth and important for plant growth. Uh, and usually some of those are listed, not all of them, uh, but it's good to know. And uh, pH is the acidity. Um, this is how acidic or basic um, or similar terms are acidic and alkaline um, your soil is. So the more acidic it is, the more hydrogen ions you have present in your soil um, the more basic, the more hydroxide ions. This is probably too much chemistry, uh, so I'll dial it back. Uh, basically, it's a good term to know for certain plants. So you're, if you take a typical, say, pine forest, uh, it's generally uh, acidic soil. And if you take, say, uh, this is very, very broad generalization, but uh, yeah, your pines generally grow in acidic um or azaleas, rhododendrons, um, blueberries. Those are typical um, acid-loving plants. Um, and then your, uh, let's, I'm trying to think of a good, uh, basic is your, like, say, maples, uh, general hardwoods, forests. This is a huge broad, there are acidic hardwoods, um, for sure, but, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how good uh, other good examples to give you right now. So, um Let's move on. Compaction. This is how compressed your soil is. So the more compacted your soil, the less able it is to hold water and trap it. And um, the more it holds water, the more, um, of course, moisture you have there. And the, the usually the better plants do in that space. Also, uh, not just water, but the more oxygen and air um, circulation the soil has, which is healthier as well. So the more of that, um, less compaction you have, uh, the more healthy your soil is generally. Um, unfortunately, most developed spaces are pretty compacted soils, simply just based on the nature of development. So uh, as um, construction is occurring, you have heavy equipment rolling over stuff. And let's put it this way. When you walk on top of soil, you actually compact it. So just the pressure of your feet compacts soil. So you can imagine when we have heavy equipment going over stuff, it's doing a pretty... Uh, uh, extensive job about compacting soil. So um, when you have compacted soil, it's a little tougher for plants to grow, uh, but it's good to know what level of compaction you have. Um, and also your soil depth. And specifically here, I'm talking about topsoil as well as subsoil. Um, so your topsoil is um, your space that has organic matter cycling through it. And um, it's where most of the life occurs. Most earthworms are in here and, and um, you know, beetles and stuff uh your topsoil is you know the deeper it is the better um for sure and usually having just even a say an inch of topsoil is really good compared to some of these compacted sites that we live on um the more topsoil you have the better for sure and uh, then your subsoil is more your uh there's a lot less organic matter in the subsoil and this is more your um where a lot of physical structure and chemistry is. So this is your clay or your sand subsoil. And this usually, there's multiple zones of it, but it usually goes down hopefully uh, a few feet and um, down to your bedrock. And so it's also good to know how far down your soil goes. How, what's the depth of your soil? And 
you can usually get some general understanding of this if you aren't willing to go out and dig a deep hole in your yard um, or if you haven't done that in the past. Uh, you can usually find some information with your extension office as well um, and or your local soil survey that sometimes is a county thing. And they'll help you understand, generally speaking, how deep till the, till the bedrock and also the water table. Um, that, that's also helpful. So if you have a hard pan or bedrock that's a few inches below, you might have a tough time growing some plants, I'll be honest. And so it's really good to know that before you're getting into this stuff. Okay, uh, that's most of the soil bit. Let's move on to water. So water, of course, is very important. And knowing how much, when, and uh, where it goes on your property are all important things. So how much is basically how frequent do you get precipitation in what form and at what quantity. So this is where knowing if you get, say, torrential downpours twice a year and that's most of your water, that's very important to know. So it's kind of like a, a flood slash drought condition and there's plants adapted to those types of locations as well as um, you have, uh, say, in the Pacific Northwest, you get a lot of rain uh, over a long period of time uh, for a lot of the year. So, um, you know, that's considered a, a temperate rainforest area. So um, the, the plants that grow there are much different than, than, say, the plants that grow in southern Texas. So um, it's important to know your precipitation quantity and frequency and patterns throughout the year. And you can find most of this stuff online pretty easily as well. Uh, when you're talking about your specific site, it's good to know uh, the pattern of drainage across your site. So when it's raining, where does the water go? Where does it run away from quickly? So this is your slopes usually, right? Um, and it goes much faster across slopes that are compacted as opposed to uh, spaces that really soak up the water as it falls. So that's your good, healthy soils. If you have, a say, a forested space or a really mature prairie space on your property that uh, has really good soil, it, it might soak up really well and you don't have tons of runoff. So, so you might have a slope that actually, if, as long as it's a medium slope, you might actually retain a lot of the water there um, over a longer period of time if you have good soil. But uh, So where does the water run off? So these are your, if you have a lawn with a slope, it's going to run off there pretty quickly. And then where does it pull up? Where does it capture? And these are your wet spots. You know, if after a rain, go out there after a big rain and take a look around and see where it's, there's still water sitting around and where there's um, less water. And, and this really helps you understand um, where to put, for one, where to put your lawn where it's going to be the most comfortable space for walking uh, throughout the year, even after rains, and where is your grass going to do best because they like soils that aren't saturated completely for long periods of time. And then where are you going to put uh, your gardens that are, say, water tolerant? Where are you going to put your gardens that are drought tolerant? And uh, this is very important for uh, figuring that out. Okay, so a couple other things to talk about here. I touched on them in last episode, but I want to touch on them again because these are very important too for, for preventing the mistakes that happen in the future with your plants. So sun exposure, where are you getting the most sun at what time of year? Or not just the most sun, but how is the sun pattern throughout the year in the space you're considering? And you need to figure this out so you know what plants to put there. So the sun exposure is very different in, say, so let's just pick out the dates that are the equinox as well as the, um, 
the uh, solstice. So the solstice is when the days are either shortest or longest. So that's generally speaking, that's December 21st and June 21st. So they're opposite times of the year. So you have the most sun, and this is Northern Hemisphere, of course. You have the most sun on June 21st. That's your longest day of the year. Where's the sun shining? And you can find this stuff online if you want to get precise. The more precise you get with uh, how your sun patterns throughout your property, the better. I'll just be clear with this. So if you're planning, especially if you're planning a big project, this is very important to know your whole property. Um, but if you're just planting a garden, just get a general idea of where's where's the sun going to be on June 21st at noon and at, at uh, 9 a.m. and at 9 p.m. Where's the sun going to be shining on that space? That's very important to know for what types of plants you put there with what solar exposure and what heat tolerance. And then think to December 21st, especially if you have uh, a growing season during this time as well. So if you're talking uh, southern U.S., this is very important as well. So on December 21st, how high is the sun going to get at noon? And where's the sun, say, at 10 a.m.? And where's the sun at uh, 5 p.m.? And understand that so you know what to do with your plants uh, for the same reason. So uh, solar exposure can be very important in these cold months or these shorter day months, uh, especially in the south where you still have plants growing. And then same as, uh, as the peaks, also know where the sun's going to be at the equinox. So this is generally speaking, this is March 21st and September 21st. And on these days, where is the sun going to be shining as well? And, and granted, it's going to be kind of the average of the other two dates that we talked about. So let's look underneath the soil now, underneath the surface. So your roots, it's very important to understand, especially with the more mature plants you have, uh, the more perennial they get. So this is your woody plants especially. Where are the roots going to go and what type of root growth do they have? You have some trees or even plants, but specifically trees that have a tap root. They shoot a, a straight root very far down and if they grow mature and they grow well and you have good soil sometimes these roots can penetrate as far as 30 30 feet deep and uh, they'll have side shoots going out as well from there but but tap rooted trees can penetrate very deeply so you got to make sure they have the space to grow and likewise you have some uh, plants that shoot out very fibrous roots very far um, horizontally sometimes even up to the surface of the soil and so this is like your silver maple has a surface roots that they'll run out very far beyond the drip line of your tree and they can cause a lot of problems if you don't plan for it and so knowing where your roots go is very important especially if you're planting a garden that's near uh, any sort of concrete structure that's a um, paved surface or a, a foundation or um, a septic system as well as your utilities um, so make sure you're planning properly for these uh, structures and in a tight property uh, you have to be very careful for these things so make sure you're kind of figuring out how your plant's going to grow what's the mature size of it and generally speaking, you want to plan whatever the mature crown height is and width, you want to plan at least the same for the underneath the ground. And, and based on the root pattern, sometimes more uh, vertical or more horizontal. So just make sure you try and understand that as best you can. Similarly, make sure you're planning for the top. So uh, power lines, uh, roofs, roof, roofs, roofs, 
Roofs. Yes, roofs. We're going to go with roofs. So power lines, roofs, anything above, uh, light poles, um, things like that, other trees. So you want to plan for all this as well as your plant grows. How's it going to interact with whatever's above it? Uh, make sure you understand uh, the wind. This can really affect tree growth, especially um, as trees grow. And they, if you have a windy site, how is it going to interact with that? Is it wind-resistant plant? Um, and can it thrive in that situation? Or do you have to build structures or plant other plants to help with wind buffering? Uh, plan for other plants as well that might interact. That We talked more in depth about this yesterday, but I want to touch on it here as well. Um, so if you have plants that secrete chemicals that inhibit plant growth. So look for what plants might be compatible with the plant you're considering. So if you have an oak tree, you know, uh, how does, how well does it do with your grass? Uh, how, and, or how well does it do with some bushes you want to plant it next to? And this is again, where Google is your friend, try and see what you can dig up on it and, uh, figure that out. So there's certainly plants that secrete chemicals to inhibit growth of other types of plants. And so it's very important to figure this out. And last, I want to touch on, uh, understanding what your current chemical use is on your, uh, site and if you intend to continue that. So if you do intend to use chemicals on your uh, yard, how does it interact with the plants you're considering? And make sure you can figure out if it's going to, your chemical use is going to hurt the growth of these plants or not. Okay, so that's enough about our site and understanding our site. I want to get into uh, finding our plant now. Let's, we're going to just focus on one plant. If you're planting a whole garden, basically, you're doing this process for each types of plants you're considering. So yes, this can be a lot of work, uh, but this is very, very important to do before you're going and digging a hole in the ground and putting a plant in it. So just make sure you get this piece right, and it will save you tons of work in the future. So first, the, the biggest thing, because we're talking about healthy and beautiful landscapes here, right? We're not talking about ecological restoration of a stream bed or whatever. If you're into that stuff, that is awesome. I love ecological restoration. But our specific focus here is your landscape, right? You want to have something that's welcoming, attractive. And so the first important piece here is what plant can meet the aesthetic desire you have and fit the space conditions, so what plan is going to look right, make you feel happy or make it look appealing, uh, get the desired condition that you want out of your landscape? What plant will do that? And then make sure it fits the conditions that you have on your site. So I might love, you know, the look of, of a coconut tree, right? But here in Ohio, it's not going to happen, right? So I have to figure out how I can get the, the feel I want of a specific, maybe there's a desired plant that I would love to have, but it's not going to happen, right? So what can I do with the palette of plants that grow in my area? And that will give me a similar uh, appeal that I want to have. So that's an extreme example, of course, but uh, there are ways to do something like that, even in my location to get kind of that tropical feel. I'm not going to get a palm tree, right? But I might be able to do something similar uh, and have that, that feel. So we certainly want an appealing plant that's going to meet our, 
our needs of beautification or our desires of beautification with our yard. But while we're doing so, we also want to make sure we're considering plants that are non-invasive or uh, non-opportunistic and low maintenance at the same time. So making sure that they're, they don't need tons of stuff to uh, keep going and to keep happy. But I, I do want to touch up upon the piece of non-invasiveness. A lot of times we sacrifice uh you know, environmental integrity for the sake of beauty. And here we want to try and do both because uh, we don't want to be hurting the, the broader landscape of our area uh, just to just have some, to, just to have something appealing in our yard. Okay. So uh, some examples of this, if, if you live in Ohio or nearby, say Kentucky or Indiana or Pennsylvania, I certainly urge you to check out a recent project I completed with with a lot of low-maintenance designers across Ohio. So I did an Ohio low-maintenance plants project where I gathered all of their favorite plants that they use in their landscapes and and put it together into one uh, free resource. So if you live in this region, I certainly uh, suggest you go over to aestheticecosystems.com slash Ohio plants and check out the uh, the articles I've put together there. And there's also a free download for the resource as well, if you want. So, uh, if you live in this area, you're in luck because, uh, we've got some of this figured out for you already. If you're outside this area, don't you worry because, uh, you can figure some of this out on your own. Uh, it's just a little less accessible. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, putting this together for all 50 States, it's kind of a no go for me at this point. Um, but yeah, so if you live in Ohio, check that out. And also, uh, I do have a resource that uh, fits most of the U.S., not all of it, especially if you live west of the Rockies. This isn't always the case, um, but I really love the Prairie Nursery, and I'm not sponsored by these guys or anything, um, so this is a heartfelt recommendation. The Prairie Nursery is a, a nursery up in Wisconsin, and they've done a lot of work to preserve a lot of the native prairie plants uh, from the Midwestern U.S., but in doing so, there's a lot of plants that are also just native more broadly to the Eastern U.S. and even the Southern U.S., so uh, they have a great resource, uh, a perennial plant nursery. They do have online shipping, so check them out, and um, yeah, just take a look at them. They have a lot of herbaceous perennials, so they don't have a great selection of trees or anything like that, but if you're looking for your kind of prairie-type plants that you want to put in your gardens, uh, check them out as well. And of course, I've listed or mentioned these guys multiple times as well. Uh, the Missouri Botanical Garden has put together a great plant resource. If you want to find plants that fit your space, they have a great resource to do so over at uh, their website, and I'll put a link in their sh the show notes as well. All right, with that, let's get into it. So when it comes to considering your plant that you're selecting, here's a, I'm just going to kind of go through a list of conditions to consider, and then uh, it's up to you to figure out how that fits into your space because every situation is different. Even if we're talking about two different locations in the same yard, it's, it's a different situation. So this is up to you to kind of put on your thinking hat and, and figure out how it's going to work in your space. So first, the maximum dimensions, right? What type of plant are you looking for? Are you looking for a plant that uh, grows six inches in height and spreads to six feet wide? Or are you looking for a plant that grows, you know, a, a tree that grows 90 feet tall at maturity and takes 50 years to get there? Um, which one is it? So understanding your maximum dimensions, uh, height and width is very important. 
uh, next your foliage density. So you do, do you want something that gives you kind of dappled shade or do you want something that gives you dense shade? Uh, and this of course mainly goes for trees that I'm talking about here that go above us. But this also goes for your low growing plants that maybe you're planting a mixed species garden space. And do you want something that you can see through to the plants behind it? So maybe it provides a foreground or do you maybe want a a denser plant that provides a dense background and so understanding your foliage density is is good for that this is more of an aesthetic aesthetic thing for for your garden or a functional thing when you're talking about your mature trees what type of color do you want so different foliage provides different colors at different time of year so you get more maybe you get richer browns and reds in the off season and you get deeper greens with certain plants uh, or even reddish color foliage or kind of a yellow green foliage. So even the foliage itself gives you different color. Next, what, what about blooms? Do you want something that has blooms for how long, at what time of year, and what color? Uh, so the blooms are important. What about texture? So different types of plants based on their structure and their foliage provide different types of texture. So you might want something that's like a... Um, like a grassy uh, plant that gives you a lot of vertical texture with, with kind of a wispiness to it. Or you might want a, something like a Japanese maple with a lot of jagged uh, texture that, that provides some bold color um, that's very punctuated. So knowing your textures that you want in your garden is important. What's the dispersal of your plant? So this is to determine how it's going to spread. Is it going to spread by seed? Is it going to spread by root suckering? Is it going to stay in place? Is it going to slowly spread as it clumps out and forms bigger clumps? So knowing this and whether it's going to fit into the space you need is very important. What about the sun exposure? We talked about what conditions of sun we have. Does your plant like a certain type of sun exposure? Maybe it's very tolerant of a wide variety of sun exposures. Maybe it's very intolerant. So knowing this is good. Same with soil and your water and your fertility. So I ran through those really quick, but these are all very, very important. So uh, knowing the right conditions that your plant prefers. And like I said, some plants are very, very tolerant of a wide variety of conditions, but knowing what their preferred condition is good as well. So knowing if if this is where it's going to grow best, it's going to be happy, most likely the plant's going to look better there. Now that said, um, especially with uh, certain herbaceous plants, sometimes having the the wrong or the non-ideal condition for the plant actually gives it a different, um, different aesthetic appeal. So like uh, I'm thinking of goldenrod, for example, right now. It's a common, in Ohio, it's a common uh, undisturbed area weed, basically. But it looks beautiful in, in late summer and fall. And this is quickly becoming a plant that's uh, desired for the garden as well. And when you plant it in a fertile garden, goldenrod has a tendency to flop over. And a lot of these prairie plants have similar uh, type um, of situation happen when they get too happy, basically they'll grow too fast and they tend to flop over, especially without stuff around them, supporting them up. Whereas if they're in slightly less fertile soils that maybe are slightly less moist as well, they'll be more rigid and they'll stand straighter and they, um, they bloom just the same, just as much beauty, but you get them to have that that nice vertical standing plant that you might want. Okay. 
Now, a few more conditions that you might want to consider that aren't always necessary, but uh, depending upon your need, just things that I thought about that you might want to think about as well, is what about pest and critter resistance? So plants that maybe can withstand a little bit of um, munching on from certain insects, or maybe that are not appealing to most insects, similar to uh, when I say critters, especially deer. A lot of people have deer problems, so understanding which plants are not palatable to deer, as well as other critters, maybe rabbits or something. What about the root pattern? We talked about um, root expansion space. Knowing your root pattern is important, uh, given the space that you might be planting in. Uh, and this also goes for smaller plants as well. I've, I've used the tree example, but make sure you understand it for different plants. When you're planting uh, a garden, Knowing if you plant two plants that have different root patterns, it's usually more ideal than having two different plants uh, of different species in the same space that occupy the same root pattern because they might be competing for the same resources. Uh, pet resistance. So if you have a dog especially, um, some dogs, you know, are, are more... Um, in <laughs> more likely to eat certain things and also um, knowing that your plants aren't toxic to your pets as well uh, are important what about uh, plant compatibility so both in growth pattern and appearance so kind of thinking about the different plants you're considering and seeing how they look together and how they might grow together so i mentioned kind of the root pattern as well this is important as well so knowing how your roots grow with your different plants and if they uh occupy different spots that um, they're not competing for the same amount of fertility. Okay, so that kind of wraps up what I had today for talking about how to plant your plant and select it. Well, not to plant it, but how to plan for planting your plant before you even get to that point, right? So before you get overwhelmed, I want to say just just have fun with this. This is a really fun process if you, you kind of get into it and figure out you know what plants you like, what's appealing to you, uh, and for what reason, and then going to find what plants actually will just give you what you want without you having to do tons of work. You know, once you make a plant happy, it'll do the happy work for you, right? It'll it'll look great the way you want it to. It won't cause as many problems, and it'll be a lot easier to take care of, and you'll have the beautiful landscape you want. So that's what we're talking about here. That's why, to me, this is a really fun process. It's, you know, you a lot of times you you discover plants that maybe you didn't even know about uh, that, that are either native to your space or uh, that are well-adapted exotics, and they... they give you exactly what you want or really close to it. They look beautiful and they don't take tons of work. So if this sounds like a lot of work to you and you just feel overwhelmed right now, I am offering consulting. So if you go to aesthetic ecosystems.com slash consulting, you can check out the various options there for connecting with me and getting a digital consultation to help you move forward. And we can really help uh, working on beautifying your landscape. So go check that out if that sounds like something you want. And likewise, if you just want to work on saving time right now without having to make some massive changes or massive investments, go over to aestheticecosystems.com slash 27 hours. That's 27 HRS or hours, whichever you want you, way you want to spell it. It'll take you there. And 
and check out the free resource I have there for how to save 27 hours this season with your landscape uh, to give you more time back to do what you love. And uh, that's a resource I compiled just to get you started on this path, this journey to making a positive change with your landscape so you can make a positive change with your life. Okay, now it's time to talk about the launch party, guys. Uh, excuse me, not party, but parte. Uh, the launch parte is for the first two months of the show from March 11th through May 11th, 2018. I want to have some fun uh, to help spread a wor- spread the word about the show. Uh, I really appreciate your enthusiasm and interest in this show, and I want to get you guys involved and have some fun while we're doing it. So this is a chance to have some fun to uh, for us to get connected, uh, to win some prizes, and And uh, let's talk about the prizes before we talk about what we're doing. So what are the prizes? Weekly, I'm offering a free consultation with me, Ben Hale, which is normally a $99 value. So uh, one person each week uh, that gets involved in the launch parte gets a free consultation. I'm also giving away... A free offer for one of my ebooks, 10 Ways to Get More Beauty with Less Work, which is a $19 value. Uh, next, the grand prize. There is only one of these we're giving away through this whole launch party. So at the end of the launch party, the Organic Lawn Care Manual by Paul Tukey. So Paul Tukey himself has offered to give away one free book to a lucky winner uh, that's getting involved in this launch party. Uh, and this book is all about how to manage a healthy lawn from anything from a golf course style lawn to your uh, low maintenance lawn, which of course is something I prefer here on this show, right? I own this book. I've read this book multiple times. I've given it away. It's a kind of a, a tattered and worn version that I have. Um, and uh, I, I, I use some of these practices in my own lawn. So I I love this book and I highly um, promote it as well. And you'll hear me talk about it throughout the show. Uh, But Paul Tukey has been kind enough to offer a copy of his book as a grand prize. And there's also a special surprise for everybody that's... uh, going to be getting involved in the launch parte. The Rolling River Nursery out of California has offered a a special surprise for everybody that's involved. The Rolling River Nursery is a a USDA certified organic nursery. So I went online and I looked around for nurseries that have online availability shipped through the continental U.S. and have some great offerings. And Rolling River Nursery has been kind enough to become involved with our launch parte. And they're not only are they online availability, but they also are certified organic, which means they don't use any harmful herbicides or pesticides that you have to be concerned with your family about. And so what you're getting is a safe and healthy plant. They also offer a ton of edible plants and trees and shrubs, cacti and succulents. So um, they offer several trees and shrubs that are adaptable throughout the most of the United States. So definitely worth checking them out. And in addition, these guys are also involved with a, uh, a nonprofit in Southern California to help local food movements called plantingjustice.org. So if you want to learn more about them, uh, you can go to rollingrivernursery.com. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Paul Tukey's website, uh, for his organic lawn care manual and his other works is paultukey.com, P-A-U-L-T-U-K-E-Y. And uh, to sum up, guys, okay, you want to learn how to get involved with this uh, launch party? Go over to aestheticecosystems.com slash 
pod launch and that's p-o-d-l-a-u-n-c-h there's a link in the show notes um, and that's that's going to give you all the instructions on how to get involved uh, there's two ways specifically to get involved one is through uh, sharing with your uh, peeps on facebook and the other is through leaving a review on itunes both of these are going to help spread the word about the show and get other people other friends listening to it as well and i sure appreciate your help here and and likewise uh, this is going to be a fun time so uh so go on over and to aestheticecosystems.com slash podlaunch to get involved. Don't forget to check out the show notes uh, there. Uh, we've got all the links we mentioned in the show today. And also uh, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already to get uh, more shows downloaded into your your whatever you're listening to right now. And with that, guys, thanks for tuning in. And make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today. <laughs>